I'm Jake Miller from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Madeline Whitaker Good and Catherine Whitaker, and we're focused on their most recent book called Classroom Management from the Ground Up. Oh my goodness, this is a toolkit for you. Lots to learn today. Awesome discussion. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Madeline Whitaker Good will start her PhD full-time this fall at the University of Missouri. She formerly is a middle school math teacher in Springfield, Missouri. Prior to moving to middle school, she also was an elementary school teacher in two different school districts. She was raised in Terre Haute, Indiana, and graduated from the Peabody College of Education at Vanderbilt University with a Bachelor of Science degree in elementary education and child studies. She received the Dorothy J. Skeel Award, for outstanding professional promise in elementary education. She completed her education, her master of education degree in educational leadership and policy analysis from the University of Missouri at Columbia, as well as her elementary and secondary principal certification. She co-authored the best-selling book, Classroom Management from the Ground Up, and your first year, How to Survive and Thrive as a New Teacher with Katherine Whitaker and Todd Whitaker. Katherine Whitaker is currently a high school math teacher in Kansas City, Missouri. She was raised in Terre Haute, Indiana, and received her Bachelor of Science degree in secondary mathematics education from the University of Missouri. Her first three years in the classroom were spent at the middle school level teaching math, algebra, and reading. She has taught Algebra A, Algebra 1, and Algebra 2 honors at the high school level. Catherine graduated with her Master of Science in Educational Leadership K-12 from Northwest Missouri State University, and she co-authored the best-selling books, Classroom Management from the Ground Up, and Your First Year, How to Survive and Thrive as a New Teacher with Madeline Whitaker Good and Todd Whitaker. So ladies, welcome back, and we're glad to have you here. So say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for having us again. Well, it's, it's great having you back, and I love this book, Classroom Management from the Ground Up. You know, recently you talked about your first year, which is a really cool book, but Classroom Management is, you know, it's, it's just as awesome. So cool stuff, and kudos to you both for uh, this really important book. You know, I, and I think we all can agree that it's an important topic, so what I'd like to do is let's d- dive into it. And the first thing I got to tell you is I love the format. The format, it's easy to read. It's easy to follow. You have some really cool things where you have these little sections at the end of each chapter um, where it talks about what to do tomorrow and uh, um, some tweaks and, uh, and then later a reset type thing. But it's neat the way it's all set up. Plus, it's based on the idea of uh, building, this, building a house metaphor, the foundation, the structure, and maintenance. What an awesome idea. Could you guys talk about that a little bit, how, where that came from? So the house metaphor was definitely Madeline's idea. It was kind of uh, mentioned in our first book, but we realized through presenting that that seemed to be, well, classroom management seemed to be what new teachers had the most questions about. And we realized that's kind of where we wanted to go next um, after your first year. And we sat at a coffee shop for days um, talking about the house metaphor, how I was the one who fought and said, this book needs to be about the house metaphor. We have to take the house metaphor Uh and totally... (laughs) go into detail with it. Um, and she kind of fought me a little bit, but I'm so glad that we ended up with the, with the book that we did. Very cool. Madeline, anything you want to add? Um, we just really, so again, 
we feel like a lot of times in the education world, like things aren't as practical as they could be. And I remember during my undergraduate training where I actually did get training on classroom management, whereas Catherine got like an hour training on classroom management in her undergraduate degree. <laughs> um, we were given resources that just seemed unrealistic, also like extremely thick books, things that I knew once my year started, like, you know, I'm not gonna go sift to page 122 trying to find, you know, this little tip on how to address the situation. And we both realized that nobody is ever going to have every single answer you need when you manage a classroom. Like that's just, that's just how it is when you're a teacher. Teaching is complicated. So instead of trying to give teachers answers to every single problem they'll face, we wanted to give them a structure that they can visualize their classroom management scenarios in, and then that will help them then reflect upon it and grow and know how to address problems. Again, we don't, like, like I think you mentioned, we, we argue that there is no silver bullet and no perfect answer to every classroom management situation. So instead, we, what you can do is build this framework in your classroom to help prevent management issues and then help appropriately address them. Again, it's not gonna fix everything, but it's going to give you a really solid foundation. Awesome, I love it. They, uh, you know, one of the things, and by the way, I'm, I'm getting ready to ask you a question. I'm getting ready to talk about the introduction and I could do a whole podcast on just the introduction, by the way. I, <laughs> I, had, to, I had to go, Steve, you're stuck in the introduction. Let's move on. But, you know, it's, and it's because of some of the things that are there. And, and in the introduction, you say, being an educator means you're working with people and people are complicated. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about this? Because this, this is a strong message right here in itself. Yes. Yeah, so I feel like my foundation of teaching was like me coming to the realization that people are complicated and it sounds so basic, but when you're, you know, when you're going through training at your university or wherever you get your teacher certification from, you just think that you can change the world. You think that you can help every student. You think that you can, you know, eliminate the evil teachers that you work with and become best friends with the great teachers that you work with and everything seems so black and white and then you get in the classroom and you realize that things aren't black and white the teachers that you maybe assumed were awesome maybe weren't as great as you thought the teachers that you thought were evil maybe honestly were just frustrated about you know district policies that were unfair you also realize that with students you have this vision again you're going to be this you know quote unquote savior, but then you get into the classroom and you realize, number one, it's not your role to be a savior. That's a ridiculous assumption that, you know, lots of teachers go in with. And number two, students are people and people are complicated. So again, you are not going to have one thing that's going to solve every single problem and you won't be able to solve every single, single problem. And so I think that can just be a big reckoning, especially for, for young new teachers. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful because that's the, 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 it's so right on the money because just because something works or you connect with this child or, I mean, it's in the same day. I mean, if as a high school teacher, class after class, you could have one class that you just, oh, this one's money right here. And the next one's like, <laughs> play, play, you know, <laughs> yes. so, and it, and that in itself is just what makes it complicated. So it's just, it's just right on the money with that. I appreciate it. Is there anything you wanted to add to that, Catherine, or? I mean, just when you brought up the high school thing, I always feel like the class that's one of the harder classes for me is always the one at the end of the day. I don't know if that's just, you know, an accidental coincidence that seems to happen every year. <laughs> Um, but that one at the end of the day, man, you're just kind of, you're, you, 
you just spent all of your energy all day and you have to conjure up this random stuff within you to try to make mm-hmm. it through those last 60 minutes or 90 minutes, depending on the class period. And whew, it can be tough some days. <laughs> I understand. Yes. Especially that end of the day. And it uh, really helps if uh, there's been uh, one of two things, either a lot of rain or, uh, you know, a lot of sunshine, you know, you have either two of those combinations and they're getting a little close to the end of the day and it's like, nice. Okay. Oh, uh, or if there's any hint of snow happening. Oh yes. Snow is about to happen. Whoo, they get so excited about that, man. <laughs> nice. I was always, when I taught elementary, I was always so nervous that my principal would walk in during the end of the day because <laughs> my pack up situation was just always an explosion. You know, I could have like the perfect day then all of a sudden it's like okay guys we're gonna systematically pack up and everyone just be like "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) i could never do anything about it so i'm i it's just funny again people are complicated (laughs) yes and and that actually is the perfect time for the principal to walk in just as oh thank you very much oh good (laughs) (laughs) so you know one of the things that you do is you you enter the you introduce the reader to what you call tweaks and resets could you explain these yeah that is my little sweet spot because that's what saved me my first year of teaching and I think giving the language to teachers to know that you can tweak things that are happening in your classroom or you can reset the whole culture and climate of the classroom depending on how things are going Um, and we love the word tweak just because it occurs all the time every single day in every single classroom where you realize maybe in first hour this part of your lesson didn't go as well so next hour you tweak it a little bit to make sure it flows better Um, or the elementary level, if you realize one day that um, the way that you're doing your reading groups isn't quite working, so you try something else the next day, that's just a tweak of procedures or a tweak of of rules potentially. Um, And then the reset is when things really kind of everything has fallen apart and you need to reset kind of everything that's going on in your room. And that's and we're really passionate about those two things because if, if you're struggling in your classroom management, the way to fix it is through tweaks or a reset. Well, and I always felt like tweaks are like, tweaks are your hope, you know? Like <laughs> when you go home after the roughest day of your life, like there's no reason to show up the next day unless there's something that you can do about it. So I always felt like tweaks were like, I'm driving home and I need to just diffuse for a hot second. But then I'm like, okay, what can I change so I don't feel like this at the day at the end of the day tomorrow? <laughs> that's, so true. Yeah, that's so excellent. It's just right on the money because, and you're right. They are your hope. That's it's like if I do this, it's all going to be better. It's that's right. It's and you can get yourself psyched up because I know yeah. that if I do this, it's going <laughs> to yes. work. So we're good. <laughs> I like that. So you know, one of the things that uh, I, I'd like to spend some time talking about is that you get into two types of organization and and you talk about the physical and the lesson. What's the difference and what's the impact on our ability to be able to be an effective teacher? What do you think? It's so funny because I'm actually sitting in my classroom right now and I had to move classrooms this year. So I'm in a totally new room and I'm sitting here trying to figure out how I want the physical aspect of my room to be Nice. because I don't know, like, where do I put my desk? Do I want it in the back of the room? Do I want it in the front of the room? What side do I want it on? Where do I want my calculators for my kids? You know, when they walk in, do I want them to have to walk all the way to the back of the room to get them and then to their seat or should they be right by the door so they can grab them? Do I want like um, the whiteboard stuff that we use very regularly? What side of the walls, you know, what side of the classroom do I want it on? And it, it's crazy how the physical layout of a classroom 
dictates so much about the flow um, and how your kids are going to use the room and how you're going to use the room. And so I'm literally in the midst of trying to, to figure this out right now. You should see, I should turn my laptop around so you can see how crazy my room is right now. But I'm in the midst of that, that physical piece because the physical piece I mean, sets up kind of the organization and the procedures your kids are going to do. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. And then the lesson organization, I feel like, I feel like it's the same purpose is you want to help prevent as many issues as you possibly can by being organized. But again, with the lesson, it's much more not about like, where are the desks and where are your materials? It's much more about like, what's the flow of the lesson? What are students going to do right when they walk in? How have I chunked my lesson? So I'm not just expecting a five-year-old to be able to, you know, practice writing the letter A for 45 minutes straight. How am I going to end the lesson? What am I going to do for early finishers? What am I going to do with students who say they don't know what to do? So again, it's like a different type of organization, but they both are done in the hopes to help prevent as many issues as you can. But also remember that there will always be issues that pop up, but we're hoping, you know, maybe instead of, 20 minutes of disruption, this kind of organization can lead you to maybe only five minutes of disruption. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. We have, cause I know, you know, it's funny. I, one of the things that uh, um, sometimes people can have too much stuff in their room and mm. uh, physically that can, <laughs> that can create issues as well as having, you know, you know, the wrong person front and center and uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. all kinds of other things. And then, and then, you know, and during our planning, I think, some of what you bring up is so important because I think sometimes we forget to think about things like that. What happens if, you know, these kids, some of the kids finish sooner than others. I mean, that's one of the, the big uh, you know, mysteries of the universe right there. And, right. <laughs> and, um, and how do I deal with, or what, what should I do if, or have I, have I created something that's, that is going to uh, keep them engaged for long enough? I like all, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting there thinking about that is so important. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, you get into in one of the chapters is you actually mention un- it's important for the teacher to understand, have a, have a little bit of understanding about student attention spans. Can we kind of reflect on that and kind of have some ideas there? Mm-hmm. Well, I love what we do at the high school level at my building. Um, we do the workshop model. And the purpose of the workshop model is that our lessons are like 15 minutes max. That's kind of the whole point is because then we want students to be able to have work time the rest of the hour um, so that you are conferring with them and they're conferring with each other. And I've loved that because it's been interesting because I taught Algebra A, which is like a pre-algebra kind of kiddo, and then Algebra 2 honors kids. And they both love the workshop model, but for totally different reasons. My um, honors kids love the workshop model because they want they want to do the math immediately. Like they are so excited. They're like, we don't want to see you teach anymore. We want to try it on our own. They loved the challenge. But then my Algebra A kiddos appreciated the workshop model so much as well because they don't enjoy math a whole lot. And so they don't want to hear somebody talk about it for an hour that, you know, they don't even enjoy doing it that long. And so to be able to, for the teacher to get to the point for them so that they can also get to the point was so worthwhile. And so that attention span, it's, it's interesting how the workshop model benefited both spectrums for, of my kids, but that attention span thing is so important. Understanding that they both both groups of kids want to do the math, but kind of for different reasons and they want to just get to it. Um, and so I know Madeline had uh, mentioned attention span for elementary school students as well. 
Yes. Well, I, I think sometimes teachers can forget that the way you organize your lessons can be the reason that like disruption and like behavior issues occur. Mm -hmm. So if you're not acknowledging that, oh man, like maybe my students won't be able to listen to me, just talk at them for 30 minutes, or maybe my students won't be able to just, I remember one time I had to do a lesson with my third graders and it was like, okay, now you need to go send them off to sit and write for an hour. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Like that is just, that's not, that's just straight up not going to happen. Right. So because I was so nervous about behavior issues like I knew I could pick out the two students that could write for an hour and I could probably like put in order all of my other students based on who's going to get off task first <laughs> during the rest of that time and so it's just I think it can be empowering for teachers to realize that the way you structure your lesson can help prevent misbehavior again it's not going to be perfect it's not going to prevent everything but it can really really help students stay on task but it can also like help them learn more if your lessons are more engaging. Now, one caveat, sometimes I have been in situations where some people have used the term engaging to mean like, you need to be like dancing and you need to be like singing and you need to bring in your pet horse so the kids understand, you know, whatever pony story. And that's not the, you know, that's not realistic. Like engagement can mean that your eighth graders are just taking guided notes while you're teaching. Like that can mean engagement. It doesn't have to mean you're putting on a dog and pony show. hundred <laughs> percent. Right on the money. I, you know, it is funny because it's like, uh, that's oftentimes what people think is that it's uh, um, engagement. We must do a play. They must sing. Yes. We must, <laughs> yes. Everyone must sing now. And yes. So then all of a sudden there's all these good teachers that they feel like they're not engaging. And it's like, no, 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 you are effective. You are a good teacher. You don't need to be able to rap in front of your students. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I like that's You know, and just as a side note, it's one of the messages I love in your book is that there's, it's, it's not about being perfect. There's, in, mm -hmm. it's, it's about, you know, figuring out what, what's going to work. And it's just interesting because it's it, every little bit that you're talking about right now is like this, that's a good part to bring that in because that's a cool message. Cause I, I think too often we do get that message from well-meaning people around us <laughs> that, uh, right. Right. Um, and Twitter. I want to throw that out there as Twitter. well. Twitter can, yeah, be, seriously. It can be oh a powerful goodness. tool, but it can be, <laughs> it can be dangerous for your ego and your self-esteem. Well, especially for first year teachers. Yes. So they get on Twitter and they think that they need to literally be this most amazing teacher of all yes. time and have this blog and have this Instagram account and do all these PBL lessons. And it's like, tone it down. Like <laughs> it is okay. You can be highly effective and do none of those things. Like 100%. you can just feel so much pressure, you know? Yes. yes. I love that message there. Cause that's, you're so right. And all you got me doing right now is thinking about Instagram and it, it seems like everybody's successful and owns a very big race car and has a private jet or something. <laughs> I don't know. You know, <laughs> seriously. And especially teachers, it's like every single day they have their kids building like the empire state building. <laughs> out of like toothpicks and I'm like oh my gosh I'm so lame <laughs> <laughs> go back and look at your plans we're gonna build the empire state building. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't fit I know it but we're good we're right <laughs> but, yeah. um, so I love the sections called what you can do tomorrow what made this something to include in the book I mean where'd that come from because it is it's awesome because it, it sums up what you've been talking about and then it, it kind of puts it in perspective to say you know hey here's some ideas about uh, taking this idea and and making it happen tomorrow. I feel like we wanted so badly for this book to be, to be 
immediately implemented, if at all possible. We felt like some of the other classroom management books are stuff that you feel like you have to read before the school year starts. And then if you read it three months in, you, you feel like you can't do anything until the next school year begins. Um, and we didn't want this book to be like that. We wanted you to be able to read any section and then give you ideas of literally what can I do tomorrow to shift this one piece in my classroom or tweak this one part of my lesson. Yeah, we really, again, kind of going back to what we said at the beginning, we really wanted this to be much more like a handbook, like a toolkit, like if, you know, you can just read this one little section and then maybe that can inspire something for the next day. We don't, we didn't want it to be this, you know, a 300 page work that you're having to sift through a bunch of pages. Cause let's be real. Like we're not going to like, once those kids have stepped in the room, like that's just not going to happen. And so we wanted something that was just more accessible. And also like we wrote this book when we were both teaching, like mm -hmm. we would like literally teach during the day and then write that night or write that weekend. And we're like, what needs to be in this book? So we believe in it. So we think it's practical. So we think it's helpful. And we didn't want to write something and publish something that we ourselves felt like wasn't a realistic tool for teachers to use. Mm -hmm. it, you guys are so right on the money because this is, it's, it, it's, it hits all those spots where, first of all, you don't have to look up words, right? What the heck is, are they, you know, no one's, no one's going to say, what are they talking about, <laughs> right. right? I got, it, right. do I have someone who speaks academia, you know, and, and no, that's not going to happen in your book. And it's all, it's all written in a, in a way in which not only do I understand it, now you're going to give me ideas on how to, how to make it happen tomorrow. And I, I love that mm -hmm. because that is, it is so like what you were wanting it to come out as. I, I greatly appreciate that. You know, one of the things that you get into in the book, because part of the foundation is that building relationships. And one of the things that you get into is that you got to fix it when you, when you step all over the relationship. And actually what you say is if you break a relationship with a student or an entire class, for whatever reason, you must apologize plain and simple. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I love this. <laughs> This is a huge part of my personal teaching philosophy. I just feel like whatever we expect our students to do, we also must do. I mean, period. And so if we expect when students fight each other or get in fights with each other that they have to apologize or somehow mend the relationship, then I feel like we as adults have to mirror that and do that as well. And I think allowing yourself to be semi-vulnerable with your students and letting them know that you are not a perfect person and you're going to mess up, but that you're willing to own that and apologize to them and, and repair the relationship makes them buy into you 10,000 times more. I mean, it's amazing the power of an apology. Mm -hmm. I also just think again, like nobody's perfect. No teacher's no. perfect. People are complicated. Like even, even Catherine and I, okay. So we've, we've written books, like we both can think of so many times where we have lost our cool in a variety of ways. And, and at the end, you're like, you're really embarrassed, first of all. Like, and then second, school and second of all, again, you're like, you're like embarrassed. And then you're also like, don't want to tell anyone because you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. Mm -hmm. But then you remember that like, you're human. And the best thing you can do, you know, if my husband and I got in a fight or Catherine and I got in a fight or I got in a fight with my parents, like, you always just want to apologize so you can move forward. And like Catherine said, kids appreciate that so much. Because honestly, I feel like lots of stuff happens to them in their lives and they don't get apologies for it. I, I so, you know, it's, it's so right on the money because it's like, uh, 
um, one of the things that uh, you, you see is that I see adults struggle so often that all they want to do is they want to say, you know, they, they want to do anything but apologize. And it's like, oh, come right. on. Just, just, <laughs> right. I'm sorry, you didn't mean to do it. Let's move on, man. And the kids, uh-huh. yeah, kids are pretty uh, amazed when that does happen. So oh, yeah, pretty wild. So I, I love that. The, uh, you know, in chapter four, one of the things you, uh, you talk about is you talk about rules and expectations. And you, and you say, whether you call them rules, expectations, or norms, we want you to think of them as your non-negotiables. What are you talking about here? So I was talking to Kate about this um, a little bit earlier. And I think of it as, you can think of it as like if you're dating or if you're trying to find a new place to live. So let's pretend you're dating, but you know you're dating for like, you're trying to find a long-term partner. You're not here just to like have a couple things here and there. So if you're dating to find a long-term partner, there are going to be some things that for you are just straight up non-negotiables. Like you do not want to be with someone long-term because, you know, if they hate dogs because you have five dogs that live with you and you are not getting rid of them. Like, I feel like that could be like a reasonable non-negotiable for that person. But if you don't acknowledge that, like on the first date or the second date, and then three months in, you're in love with the person, but all of a sudden you're having all these rage fights because they don't love your dogs. Like, that's an issue. And I feel like the same thing can be in the classroom. So in the classroom, you need to realize like, what are going to be the things that just straight up that are reasonable? You know, you can't, you can't bring in unreasonable things, obviously, but that are reasonable that will drive you crazy in one month, two months, three months and make those part of your rules. So Catherine and I both have different non-negotiables because, you know, lots of teachers are going to have different ones and that's okay for me. And it was probably just because I worked with nine-year-olds so much, like, blurting out was not an option if you blurted out your answer was not like i was not going to give you any kind of response at all because that's what would make me lose my mind so one of my non-negotiables in my rules was about blurting out whereas Catherine has something different yeah because for me the blurting out means that they were participating and so (laughs) (laughs) and so if they wanted to participate i i was not going to stifle that that didn't and it also um just didn't bother me as much as I think it maybe bothered my sister, but that's, that's the teaching is complicated because people are complicated kind of thing. And so my non-negotiable is like, we're doing math every day. <laughs> like, and I don't care if that means that I scribe for you or, like, or you verbally tell me how to do some of the problems. I just need to know that whatever math we did was internalized in your brain in some capacity, and then we could move on. But that was my non-negotiable just because of the clientele that I was teaching. It just depends. That's very cool. Very cool. I, I love that section about the rules. It's awesome. You know, as we're getting to a close, is there anything that you guys would like to share about managing yourself? Cause I gotta, that's, that's something I want to make sure that we, uh, we talk about here before we finish up. Yeah. So no matter what you implement in your classroom, if you do not manage yourself, students may behave for you, but it's, but it's, is that the reason you want students to behave for you because you yell because you're mean. And also it just isn't going to work. Like most of the time it's just not going to work. And so Actually, when Catherine and I do workshops with teachers, we describe, we go into detail, you know, we talk about what to do before students arrive, but we also go into detail about like the students are here. Here's the student that's blurted out. Here's the student that's now gotten aggressive. Here's the student that's escalated even again. What do you do? And part of um, what our training is about is we go over all of these different ways, like things you can do to respond and consequences you can implement or ways to redirect the student. 
And the only way to know if it's been successful is if you have been successful at implementing whatever that is. It's not a guarantee that the student's going to start behaving. Again, that's, that's, people are complicated. That's just the reality of the world. But if you walk away and you know that you didn't yell, you didn't use sarcasm, you weren't mean, you weren't vindictive, you treated the student with respect from the moment their misbehavior started to the moment that it ended, whether it ended because they're still in the classroom or it ended because you had to call for support, that's when you know that you have been successful in a classroom management scenario. Awesome. And I also, I also want to be very vulnerable. Uh, two, year, two years ago, I had... <laughs> Two years ago, I had three co-teach classes, um, which was such a blessing just for those students and also just for my mental health and the other teachers' mental health probably. But there were times that I had to look at my co-teacher and be like, do you mind finishing out the last five minutes? I need to, you know, just run to another classroom. And she'd be like, yeah, no problem. And I would just go to another classroom and cry those last five minutes because I knew if I stayed in that room, it was going to be bad for me and my students. Um, and that is just part of also managing yourself and knowing that, you know, I might've been having a bad day and they were having a bad day. And so together we were having like one of those terrible, awful, no good, very bad days. Um, <laughs> but just realizing that if I stayed in that room for five more minutes, it was going to be bad. But having that option to be able to remove myself from the situation is so beneficial. And I think even if you don't have a co-teach, you know, just popping your head into the classroom next to you, Hey, do you want to switch for the last five minutes? I'll do your closing for you if you want to do mine. And just knowing that that's a part of managing yourself as well. That's good stuff there. That's great advice too. I know as a principal, I learned uh, that if I started sniffing at people and stuff like this, I need to put myself in timeout and you'd see me outside <laughs> walking. I always told people, if you see me walking outside around the building, just give me five minutes. Just, yeah. I'm not going to be out there long. I'm just, I put myself in timeout. All right. So, <laughs> well, and I do that for myself, but I've also done it for my kids. I can tell that they're in a place and I'm like, here's a hall pass. Why don't I, and then we look and we decide on a time that they need to come back. And I go, just go do whatever you need to do until 1.15 and I will see you back at 115 and hopefully you're feeling a little better. You know, I mean, we all need to do that. <laughs> that we do, that we do. Well, as we're drawn to a close now. If someone wanted to connect further with either of you, where would you send them? I feel like definitely Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, uh, Madeline and I both have a Twitter. Mine is at Miss Whitaker 294. So M I S S Whitaker 294. And we, I mean, I've had multiple people direct message me or just message or just tweet at me on Twitter um, with questions or comments about anything. I know Madeline has as well. And we both love responding to those people and hearing their success stories or their struggles because we've all been there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's excellent. And so you're and Madeline, your uh, Twitter as well. Oh, yeah. My yes, my and my Twitter handle is M Whitaker Good. Um, just at M and then Whitaker, W-H-I-T-A-K-E-R-G-O-O-D. And again, like Catherine said, tweet at us or DM us. And then if you need future correspondence, we can obviously send, you know, email addresses privately if necessary, you know, just depending on what the need is for the person. Yeah. Awesome. And I'll have those links in the show notes as well as links to the to uh, um, classroom management from the ground up and uh, as well as your first year. And I can't thank you enough for joining me today. This is awesome catching up again. I love classroom management from the ground up. It's awesome. It has all great uh, ideas. And, and uh, for those of you listening, this is uh, um, this, no one's paid me to say this. This is an awesome, awesome tool. (laughs) that will be very helpful to you as you learn from, uh, um, from the lessons and the thoughts of uh, both Catherine and Madeline. So ladies, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. 
You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V and Miletto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.